July 31st. My dear sister, I trust that this letter of mine finds you well, in good health, and not too concerned with the fate of your reckless brother. I confess I cannot be certain that you shall ever read these words, yet the writing of them seems to give me comfort and some succour. Since last I set pen to paper, our situation has, I fear, grown still more parlous. We are at present marooned amongst the ice. Our ship has ceased to move at all, and we are compassed by vast, irregular plains of ice which seem to have no end to them. Our position is a dangerous one, and it has been thus for two days and a night. Yesterday morning, a thick fog descended which seemed to encourage much superstitious mutterings amongst the men. I have no notion of how long we shall remain in so perilous a condition, though, and I dearly wish it will not persist for much longer. Who is it? Christensen, sir. Come in, Mr. Christensen. Sorry to disturb you so late, sir. No, not at all. I'm, I'm always happy to be interrupted by you. What is it? I think you'd better come up on deck, sir. Why? Is it? Is it the ice? Is it the men? It'd be for the best, Captain. If you saw for yourself. Frankenstein, The Modern Prometheus, by Mary Shelley, Volume 1. Now, what is so very urgent, Mr. Christensen? See, our situation has deteriorated or improved. Take a look, Captain. My telescope. Is it really necessary? Look to the west, sir. In the distance, look carefully, and you'll see we're not alone. <laughs> Are you quite certain? Have you been exceeding your ration of rum, Mr. Christensen? Why, I can hardly make out anything in this damnable mist. Watch more closely, Captain. In a moment, the fog will clear. You'll see him then. How long has he been there? Not more than a quarter of an hour. He's moving fast. His sled is laden with provisions and he's driving his dogs hard. Have you tried to attract his attention? Look more closely, Captain. My God. He's... Some sort of, of mutilation? Like, like something from a nightmare? You see now why I chose not to attract his attention, sir. And you were quite right, Mr. Christensen, as you so often are. Has he seen us, do you think? He can't hardly have failed to have done so, sir, yet he comes no closer. A man like that, if man he be, he'd have reasons of his own for being out here, this far from civilization. I agree. Mr. Christensen? Sir? We do nothing. We take no action. Let us hope he simply fades back into the mist and the snow and that we see him no more. Yes, sir. Say nothing to the men of this. It would, I think, unsettle them. <laughs> On that, I can agree with you, sir. And Mr. Christensen? Yes, Captain. Try to forget what we've seen tonight. I shall endeavor to do the same. In the morning, let us tell ourselves only that we have somehow suffered together and as one the same bad dream. August the 5th. My dear sister, the ice has broken and we are free. Our ship surges forward once again and we move closer daily towards the accomplishment of our objective. You will no doubt recall the tall, disfigured stranger whom Mr. Christensen and I glimpsed in the mist. You'll be relieved to know that there have been no further sightings. But you may also be intrigued to learn that the episode has had its own curious sequel. 
Early this morning, I went up on deck to find all the sailors busy on one side of the vessel, apparently calling out to somebody in the water. Naturally, I hurried over, not without, I do not flinch from the admission, some disquiet in my heart, to discover the object of their conversation. What I saw was this. A small, fragile craft in which lay a young, rather handsome man who might have passed for my brother were it not for his lean, ill-nourished frame and the extreme wildness in his eyes. The poor fellow was evidently starving and driven half mad by the extremities of his plight. Of course, I ordered that he be taken on board immediately. So enfeebled was he that he seemed altogether unable to speak. It was not until he was safely on the ship that he managed to form a few pitiful words. Gratitude. Try not to speak, sir. Do not exhaust yourself. You are most kind. Could you tell us your name, sir? Captain, I do think it best if we get our guest below deck immediately. Hell's teeth, Christensen. Surely we can ask the man his name. That... That, I think, is the least I owe you. My name, sir... ...is Victor Frankenstein. For days, the stranger, Victor Frankenstein, has languished in my quarters, racked by fever and delirium. He has been afflicted by many strange nightmares, princes of the past, I think. What horrors the man may have witnessed, I dare not begin to speculate. You are safe aboard my ship, the Oceanus. I'm Captain Robert Walton, and I'm honored to be your host. Oh, Captain Walton. Oh. oh, I'm greatly in your debt. Had your vessel not spied mine, I might have starved or perished in the ice. Say nothing more, sir. We need never speak of this again. May I ask, where are we headed? We are journeying towards the pole. It has long been my intention to discover a northwest passage there, from the Pacific to the Atlantic Oceans. Then, then you share my madness. You have drunk also of that intoxicating draught. I'm afraid I do not altogether glean your meaning. You shall, sir. In time, you shall. For how long have I been sleeping? You've been unconscious almost two weeks. That long, my God. He'll be lost by now. However shall I find him? Find him? Forgive me. I imagine I'm speaking little sense. No, no, no forgiveness is necessary. Besides, you have often known delirium since you came aboard. You've said many strange things. You must be curious, I imagine. <laughs> I it would be a dull fellow who would not be intrigued. And we are not dull men, are we, Captain? No, we believe ourselves to be born of very different clay. We believe ourselves to be men of the future. I sense a certain kinship in us, yes. You have cared for me. I've done all that I can. It was my most earnest desire that you live. <laughs> to which end, I have kept the ship's physician as far away from you as possible. <laughs> I am grateful to you, Captain. In return, there is a story I wish to tell you. A story? The story of my life. Of how I have come to such a pass as this. Then I am eager indeed to hear it. Later. After dark. But of course, you must get your rest. I shall return. 
Captain. Mr. Christensen, all is well, I trust? No, sir. I do not believe it is. There's a storm coming in, you see? We shall prepare ourselves. Of course. Make the necessary arrangements as you see fit? Yes, sir. Though surely it might have burnt itself out by the time it reaches us. Captain, it will not. She's picking up speed. I see. Well, a storm might be invigorating, don't you think? I do not, sir. Nonetheless, you know how to make certain that we were there safely? I'll do everything in my power. Thank you, Mr. Christensen. I appreciate your efforts. How fares the patient? Better. Sitting up. Taking solid food. You'd better tell the men. Some of them... They think he's cursed. A bad omen. I trust you've done all that you can to discourage such foolishness. I have, but they'd rather hear it from you. You're their captain, sir. They look to you for reassurance. As it is, you've been almost invisible to them for the past few weeks. Hiding below deck with the stranger. They think he has your ear. They think he whispers to you mad, dangerous things. What nonsense. Well, you should speak to them, Captain. As a matter of urgency. It cannot have escaped your notice that there is a restlessness among the men. Some of them have even started to doubt our mission. Well, then they are children. Mewling, petulant children. It's a view that's gaining some currency amongst the crew, sir. I've heard it said myself more than once that we ought to turn back. We will not turn back. Warn any man that's spoken out that there'll be the worst sort of punishment for him if he dares to voice such doubts again. Leave it to you to devise the uh, precise nature of our retribution. That is not what I'd advise, sir. Noted. But I should like you to follow my orders all the same. Yes, Captain. I understand, Captain. Good. I don't like these harsh words between us, Mr. Christensen. Nor I, sir. But you do understand, don't you? That ours is a dream that cannot be abandoned. Mr. Christensen. at sea, sir, I doubt I've ever seen any that look so dark. Oh, it seems so full of rage. Are you quite certain you're well enough to talk? Thank you, yes. And I sense a certain urgency to the telling of my tale. Indeed. Mine is a story you ought to hear. Well then, please, begin. Oh, would you care for a glass of wine, perhaps? Maybe. Just a little. Thank you. The ship seemed a little unsteady earlier. Are we passing into some new, more dangerous region? No, not at all. Though we are likely before long to face a storm. I dare say we've all seen worse. I dare say. Victor? Yes? Your wine. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> I feel much better now. I'm glad to hear it. Though you ought not to exhaust yourself. You're still pale. You still seem weak. I should tell my story. You have much to learn from it. And I am most eager to hear. Good, that is good. Now, I am by birth a Genovese, and my family is one of the most distinguished of that republic. No youth could have passed more happily than mine. I had everything for which a boy could ask. A loving mother, a sweet-natured younger brother, William. A dear cousin, Elizabeth, who was always as a sister to me. And a kind and loyal friend in Henry Clerval. There is no particular reason that I can give you as to why I betrayed them all. Not that you would ever have dreamed that such a thing were possible on the day when, long ago, I first left home. Victor! 
Victor, what are you doing out here? Oh, hello, Henry. I didn't mean to be so long. I only intended to go for a stroll, but I seem to have lingered rather in this place. It has a certain rough beauty to it, I suppose. Do you know, I can remember when this tree seemed to stretch up high into the sky. Look at it now. A blasted stump. A twist of blackened wood. Ashes where there was once magnificence. Yes. Yes, but don't you see it was that very magnificence which was the cause of its own downfall. The tree's height and breadth and majesty first attracted the lightning, and in doing so, it spelt its own destruction. Oh, but there seems to be so little justice in such a fate. It is nature, Victor. Only nature. The tallest grain is the first to fear the harvest. But these are melancholy thoughts for such a day as this. You should come inside, not waste your last hours out here. Everyone's eager to see you off. And they've sent you to bring me back, I suppose. Just so. Walk with me? Yes. May I ask you something? Anything. You must feel no obligation to answer. You must say if I begin to pry. You were going to ask, I think, if I was remembering my mother. How did you know that? Only because I know you so very well. Predictable, stout-hearted, honourable Henry. For all that, you make me sound a terribly dull fellow. I do believe I should take that as a compliment. Why should you not? And you were right. I was thinking of my mother. She would have been proud of you. I'm sure you must be right. Yet I dearly wish you were here to tell me so. As do we all. It seems so unnecessary. So without fairness. That is the nature of death, Victor. And of life, also. It's chaotic. And it is uncontrollable. Oh, would that it were not so. Forgive me, forgive me, gentles all. Might I beg your attention for a moment? Thank you. Now, we're gathered here today, as you must all surely know, in order to say farewell to my eldest son, Victor, who departs at first light to begin his studies in the university at Ingolstadt. I, I need hardly say how proud I am to see him leave in such a fashion, though naturally my pride is mingled with something of the loss I shall feel at his absence, for he has been no small comfort to me in the time since my dear wife was taken from us. Uh, but I mean not to linger on such sadness. May I instead propose a toast? To Victor Frankenstein, my son, physician of the future. Hear, hear. To Victor. To Victor. I'm quite sure I don't know what's come over the old man. He never used to be so sentimental. Ah, oh, but sentiment is an old man's prerogative, is it not? If you'll indulge me just a little longer, I should like to speak also of my dear niece and Victor's cousin, Elizabeth. Now, I've made little secret of the fact that it has long been a fierce desire of mine, as it was of my beloved wife, that Victor and Elizabeth are one day themselves joined in matrimony, thereby bringing together two wings of this great dynasty of ours. Elizabeth, I understand that you have some words of your own to say. Now, I beg you to give her the same quality of attention that you have given to me. Such a thing is not conventional, I know, but then the Frankensteins have never paid much heed to convention. Thank you, Uncle. In truth, I wished only to add my voice to yours, to say how greatly we will all miss dear Victor, not only my uncle and I, but also our great friend Henry, and little William, who is at present away at school. Even darling Justine, who, whilst a servant, I believe both Victor and I have come to think of as almost one of our own. So hurry home, Victor, dear, and do not tarry at the university. Come back to us a doctor and fulfil what I know to be your own desire as much as it ever was your father's. Bravo! Well said. <laughs> Bravo. More wine, Mr. Clerval. Really, Justine? Mr. Clerval, after all this time, I'll have to be quite firm with you, my girl. It's Henry or nothing. And thank you. I should very much like another glass if you would be so kind. Of course, sir. Thank you. 
You are as kind as you are pretty, which by my calculation means you must be more generous than the saints. Have you seen Victor, sir? Of course, he's just over... Oh. Ah, I see what you mean. I suppose he's gone outside again. He does love the fresh air. Does he? He likes to feel the play of the elements. I dare say it'll be the death of him one day. Truly, Victor, where have you been all evening? Everybody was looking for you. If I've taught you anything, it is surely this, that no gentleman should ever be the first to leave his own party. Forgive me, Father. It was the heat and the commotion. The great press of people. I, I wished merely to take some air. I had no notion that I'd been gone so long. Oh, I do understand, my boy. This past year has been hard on us. I know you've responded by throwing yourself into your studies, an altogether admirable thing. Thank you, Father. I'm sure you'll make me proud at the university. I shall certainly endeavour to try. But you'll also be sure to seek some happiness, won't you? Studies are all very well, but be sure not to neglect other parts of your life. What other parts are those, Father? I'm referring to Elizabeth, my boy, and to the wedding we plan for your return. I do believe I understand, sir. I assure you, it is my dearest wish to one day make Elizabeth my wife. It gives an old man comfort to hear you say so. It shan't be long, Victor, before you'll be at the head of this family. You'll have Elizabeth and William relying upon you. And let us pray to God your own children also. Your mother always said, you know, that Father, you would be... May I go now? There is someone to whom I wish to speak before I leave. Oh, you mean Elizabeth, I suppose. Well, who am I to stand in the way of um, amour? What was it the poet said? Come, live with me and be my love, and we will all the pleasures prove that hills and valleys, dales and fields... Father. Oh, of course, of course. You're excused. You've not said you'll miss me yet. You've not said you'll miss me. Oh, I'll miss everything about you, just <laughs> Every single part of you. Will you now? You know that I will. You'll take good care of yourself in Ingolstadt, won't you? Yes. You won't let your head be turned by some pretty face. I expect my studies will take up most of my time. I hope they will. And once they're done, you'll hurry home to me? Madam, with the utmost haste. Hmm. Then maybe I will miss you after all. <laughs> when I'm back... Yes? Things can go on just as they are, can't they? Not just as they are, Victor, no. But we will still see one another, won't we? After I'm married. It shouldn't be hard to contrive some reason to keep you. Victor, your father is not well. He has but a few years left to him at most, and once he's gone, you can set aside this pretense that you're going to marry that passionless shrew. Instead, you can follow the dictates of your heart and make a different choice. But I could never marry you, Justine. It's out of the question. You knew that when we embarked upon... what it is we have embarked upon... But did I really have a choice, I wonder? Of course you did. Perhaps. Think hard in Ingolstadt, Victor, about what you want to happen on your return. An unconventional marriage to a warm, wonderful woman you adore, or... Marriage to Elizabeth, I suppose. Think, Victor. That's all I ask. Remember how much you've shared with me. Are you... forgive me, but it seems almost as though you were attempting to exert your will over mine. Let's not argue, Victor. Not on our last night together. No. No, let's give you a reason to hurry home. <laughs> I found her implication tiresome in the extreme. No, more than that, I found it offensive. Something burned within me. The chief memory that I retained from that last evening was not perhaps as the young girl would have wished it. It was of a realisation of what power knowledge might grant one human being. Oh, Victor. When I arrived at university, it was not quite as I had hoped or imagined. 
How so? Ingolstadt is a noisy, populous, filthy place. My fellow students were, to a man, ignorant, incurious, and empty-headed. It soon became apparent to me that they had come hither chiefly to drink and to carouse, and that they were very little troubled by their studies. Yeah, it is often the way. My own university was much the same. Yet I cannot believe that you were as surprised by the truth as I. I sense that, even as a younger man, you were considerably more worldly than I. No, I had been educated largely at home, and was therefore entirely unaccustomed to the unruliness of my peers. I soon began to realize also that my curriculum had been a particularly unorthodox and eccentric one. In what way? My researches had taken me down some peculiar byways of academia into areas which many may consider dangerous or bizarre. I had unwittingly immersed myself in ancient texts which had long been outlawed or forgotten. The excessive antiquity of my knowledge was made clear to me early in my time at the university. Brought home with no little vigor in response to a question that I asked Monsieur Kremp, one of the most senior professors. And what was that question? I should prefer not to repeat it. Even now I blush at the memory. Paracelsus, Albertus Magnus, Cornelius Agrippa, this is wild paganism, sir. You must either be an amateur sorcerer or else a young man with a very keenly developed sense of humour. Is this some prank being played upon me? On the contrary, monsieur, I am quite serious. Then you are mistaken indeed. Every minute, every instant that you have wasted on those books is utterly and entirely lost. You have burdened your memory with exploded systems and useless names. In what desert land have you lived where no one was kind enough to inform you that these fancies which you have so greedily imbibed are a thousand years old and as musty as they are ancient demons, golems. These are the ravings of charlatans. Not so very long ago, men were burned for less than that which you have suggested. I meant no offence, monsieur. You've caused me no offence. Indeed, you have issued me with a challenge. We shall make a doctor of you yet. We will breed some God-fearing good sense into you. What is your name, young man? Victor Frankenstein, monsieur. Well, Victor Frankenstein, the next time I hear your name, I wish it to be in connection with some great and marvellous feat of modernity. You must put aside these dusty, cobwebbed ideas and apply yourself to the present day. Yes, monsieur. I'm sorry, you monsieur. Don't be sorry. Only listen, pay attention, and learn. Now, to return to the matter in hand, uh, on the efficacy of leeches in the treatment of rheumatism and palsy... I hardly heard the rest of Kremp's lecture that day. So stung was I by his words to me, and so bewildered by the apparent obsolescence of my studies. With head bowed and books heavy beneath my arms, I walked through the halls of that ancient place of learning. Forlornly, and with no end in mind. You may imagine my surprise then, as I passed into a silent, and so I had thought altogether deserted vestibule, when I saw a tall, imposing man step out of the shadows before me and speak my name. Mr. Victor Frankenstein? Yes? I heard your question at the lecture today, Mr. Frankenstein, and I heard with shame and disbelief the manner in which that fool crimp replied to you. I wish you to know that your beliefs are very far from being misguided or outdated. Dangerous, to be sure, but visionary and prophetic also. Truly great men are never recognized by the masses in their own lifetimes, only by their fellow savants. You must not allow yourself to be cast down by the ignorance of intellectual pygmies. Who are you, sir? Oh, my name is Waldman. 
I'm a professor here, though I do not teach. I am tolerated, if barely. My beliefs, I think, are in accordance with your own. I've long been waiting for the arrival of one such as yourself. Then you two are an admirer of Paracelsus, of Albertus Magnus. Oh, <laughs> and much else besides. Uh, but it would not do for us to be seen talking together here. My reputation may not be one that you wish to be yoked publicly to your own. Can you meet me later? There is a tavern in the town which I know to be discreet. Shall we say eight o'clock? Are you in earnest, monsieur? Entirely in earnest. You will discover that I am never anything less. Then thank you. I shall meet you. And you may tell me everything. like a fair-minded and, oh dear me, yes, a very generous man. I'd like to think that I'm both of those things. <laughs> You're new to Ingolstadt? Indeed. I'm Giselle. I see. This is usually the moment when you give me your own name. <laughs> My name is Victor. That's a nice name. And would you like to buy me a drink, Victor? I fear I'm waiting for somebody. A woman? A man. Oh. In that case, you can buy me a drink while you wait. I'm sorry, not today. Then perhaps another time, Victor. Perhaps, yes. <laughs> I look forward to that. I'm often in here. And if I'm not, you can always ask at the bar. For Giselle. Mr. Frankenstein. Oh, Monsieur Kremp. I should never have expected to find you here. Nor are you, but I was passing and I saw you sitting alone. It occurred to me I ought really to apologise for making an example of you as I did. Uh, it is all too easy, you understand, to become a little swept away when one is addressing a crowded lecture hall. I quite understand. It was... Never my intention to humiliate or belittle. I wished only to warn you, to steer you from the path of darkness and towards the light. I should not wish to see you put yourself into harm's way. Thank you, monsieur. I accept your apology. Well, uh, I expect we shall see one another soon enough. If you have any question on any topic, whatever, please do not hesitate to speak to me. We shall set you right, my boy. I give you my word. You're most kind, monsieur. Claret, two glasses, now. Good lord. Whatever is he doing here? Who, monsieur? Nobody you should ever have cause to meet. A very unhappy man, a theorist of the most blasphemous kind. Now, I must be on my way. If it is monsieur Waldman to whom you are referring, sir, it is he who I have come here to meet. Listen to me, my boy. You must leave here at once. Do not exchange words with that man. Have nothing at all to do with him. Do you understand me? Why? He is a serpent, Victor. A serpent who, who falls upon young minds and sinks his fangs into their virtue and good name. He is set upon the darkest of paths, and you must not let him take you with him. I thank you for your advice, monsieur, but I do believe the gentleman and I have a great deal in common and much to discuss. I beg you, do not listen to him. Stop your ears against his poison and his lies. Good night, monsieur Krem. Please. Good night, sir. Then good luck, Victor Frankenstein. May God light your way. May he banish the shadows from your life. Is that Monsieur Crimp I just saw scurrying out of here like a field mouse before the scythe? It was indeed. He warned me against you. <laughs> How predictable. He seemed afraid. Whatever he told you, you may be assured that a third was probably true. A third unsubstantiated rumour and the last a pious misreading of the facts. Now, would you like a drink? We have a good deal to discuss. Thank you. I will. Now tell me, Victor, for I am eager to hear your thoughts. Do you believe, as I do, that science enables man to change and to modify the beings surrounding him? And that by our experiments we may interrogate nature with power, even to the extent of 
isolating and identifying the spark of life itself. We talked long into that night and for many nights thereafter. Our thoughts seemed to be almost supernaturally in accordance. And gradually, through our discursive dialogue, there emerged between us a shared purpose and a single common aim. What was that, Victor? Life, Captain Walton. The creation of new life. Animation applied to dead matter. And more than that, much more. The control of that life thereafter. Power over life and death. These were the things that we sought. Have I shocked you? You have made me still more curious. That is all. I somehow knew that you would not be affronted by my words as might a commoner mind. But this strange notion of yours, it must surely have come from Baldwin. Did he corrupt you then, as Kremp had warned you he would? If there was a corrupter amongst us, then it was I. Waldman had vision, but he lacked energy, drive, a certain skein of recklessness which is essential to men who wish to change the world. I had all of these things in abundance. I grant you it may have seemed that something changed in me over the course of my time in Ingolstadt. Truly, however, I believe not that I was changed, but rather that Something within me was brought out and unlocked. Something which had been waiting for just such an opportunity as this. I think I understand. Waldman and I took rooms in a low quarter of town where we built our own laboratory. We set to work in the construction of a human body which we might imbue with life. There was nothing that we would not do to achieve our ends. We scoured Ingolstadt for our materials. We delved into gutters and sewers, graveyards, charnel houses and mortuaries. Now, I've seen a lot of faces pass through here, my lad. Some of them were piteous, some of them afraid, some, and more than I care to remember, were all twisted up in a rictus of nausea and horror. But until today, I don't believe I've ever seen a face like yours. Cheerful is what I call it, sir. Positively cheerful. Beaming, aren't you, my lad, from ear to bloody ear? I think you will find that cheerfulness is my natural disposition, sir. It has often been remarked upon. Now, do you have the items we discussed? It depends, my optimistic friend, on whether you have the money. I have it here. You're not much obliged, do you? No need to count it. No? Well, I'll take your word. After all, if you can't take the word of a university man, whose word can you take? What makes you think I'm from the university? Of course you are, sir. Where else would you be from? An eager, young fella like yourself. Just give me what I've paid for. There you go. No need to get agitated. Just what I promised. And in mint condition, too. Thank you. I'm obliged. You want to know how he came to us? If you like. He drowned in the river, sir. Oh, but he wasn't a kind man. No, no, he wasn't a good man either. He was a bad one, sir. He was a drunkard and a wastrel. Two nights passed after he had a skinful, he uh, slipped and fell. Wouldn't have taken long, sir, not in that freezing water, no. And afterwards, well. The locks made paste of his face and tore the rest of him to waffle, but by some rare miracle, and as you can see, his hands survived unscathed. You were fortunate, I think, that the gentleman did not ask more questions. Indeed. Though Waldman and I never returned more than once to the same supplier. Do you think that anyone suspected uh, the the nature of your mission? How could they have done? After all, to speak our purpose aloud, if one did not know for certain the sanity of Waldman and myself, my, the very notion would sound quite mad. Yes. Y yes, I suppose that it would.
This is hard work. Harder than I thought. Nothing great was ever achieved without industry. Apply yourself. The ground's frozen solid. Persevere. Dig with all your might. Remember that what is beneath the soil will repay our efforts a thousandfold. <laughs> they say he was a young man. He was. And uncommonly handsome, too. Skin like alabaster, and a smile that would melt the iciest of hearts. You knew him? A, a former pupil of mine. Even at the time, I thought he had a first-rate physiognomy. How did he die? In his bed. At the end, I hear he was at peace. Why should he not have been? Oh, there was a scandal of some sort which attached itself to him during his years at university and thereafter. Society spurned him, rather. And you? Had you seen him lately? Oh, no, no, not for years. Or at least not since the... Uh... What? Oh, <laughs> wasting my breath in talking. We should set to, Victor. I do believe I see the first signs of dawn. Come now, apply yourself. <coughs> there is much we must accomplish. <coughs> <coughs> Did you not wonder at the reason for Waldman's notoriety? It, it seems clear to me already he had many secrets. I felt no particular curiosity about his social and domestic infelicities. Besides, by then I understood that Waldman would be of limited use to me. Before long, you see, he would become the pupil, and I, Victor Frankenstein, the master. Hurry, monsieur. It's just down here. Shh. You're sure no one else has seen it? As sure as I can be. I was in the tavern last night. Where are you now? You should hear what they say about people who frequent that tavern. I saw it when I left in the morning. I tried to cover it up as best I could. And then you came straight to me? Of course. Then we may still be in time. He's under these rags. Look. Oh, you've done well. He's a beautiful one. <laughs> We should remove him as soon as possible to the laboratory. He must have died sometime in the night. I should say... exposure? Your diagnosis is correct. You notice the frostbite on his fingers? Yes, the hands are quite useless. But then... we don't need his hands, do we? His internal organs should still be in excellent condition. If you open my case, you'll find a set of tools at the bottom. I think we'll need the hacksaw. You will understand, Captain, when I tell you that my studies took up the great majority of my time in Ingolstadt. Months passed in this fashion, and then more than a year, as Waldman and I grew ever closer to our goal. Yet, I was a young man in a foreign city, and I took pains to heed the advice of my father not to lose myself entirely in academia, and to make sure I did not neglect certain other strata of my life. You're a strange one, Victor. <laughs> Why do you say so? So formal, so driven, so grave. If you had lived my life, then you would be as I am. Really? Who can say? Is it our lives that form us? Or do we come into the world already armed with character and purpose? Were you born as you are now? With that strange emptiness within you? You make me sound so cold. No. Mother is fire within you. But it takes perseverance to tease it out. <laughs> and I'm so very glad you did. <sighs> Do they make you work hard, Victor, at the university? Not especially. Most of my labours are concerned with a private project of my own. Why do you ask? No reason. But the night that we met, the man at your table, he's from the university too, isn't he? The tall man? 
rather saturnine aspect. No, not him. Waldman's reputation reaches even here. No, I meant the first man, stooped and bewildered. Michel Krimp? Is that his name? You know him. <laughs> A little. I know that his exterior masks different nature. Tell me more. <laughs> but there's so much I could tell you about him. The stories I've heard, his secret life. Giselle, my darling, I need you to tell me everything. Do you understand? I meant no detail. Can you do that for me? <laughs> As with all things where you're concerned, my sweet-tongued victor, it would be my pleasure. Such pastimes did little to distract me, however, from the great enterprise upon which Waldman and I had embarked. <clears throat> Not long after my conversation with Giselle, we approached complete readiness. Our creation was a new human being, stitched together, to be sure, from dozens of dead men, but whole and unique and ours. We had given him the body of an athlete and made him taller than any man yet born. The face may have been a little ragged in its construction, but it was our educated hope that the scars would fade in time and that the natural, more pleasing lineaments of his features would be revealed. All that was missing in this godlike being was a functioning brain. And both Monsieur Waldman and I had long been determined that only the mind of the best and most brilliant of our age would be good enough for our full-grown infant. He is truly handsome, Victor, don't you think? Yes, I suppose so. Well, not classically handsome, I will grant you that. But in possession of such vigour, such strength, such... Coiled promise. Yet there is still one outstanding problem to be solved. Cerebral matter? You must not be hasty. It must be the right brain. We have always said so. Such a pity. A storm is brewing. Conditions tonight would have been ideal. Ours is a project that may not be hurried. This has been the dream of man since the beginning of time. We owe it to the future to wait for the correct brain. There will be other storms. You are right, monsieur. I'm merely impatient to test our theories. And I too, my young friend. But perhaps for tonight, we should retire elsewhere. Some wine, some poetry, and then bed. <laughs> Victor, we are discovered. Calm yourself, monsieur. We are the most brilliant men of our generation. I doubt that there is anyone alive who could thwart us now. Remember what you said to yourself a thousand times. We are the giants. The rest, merely pygmies. <laughs> Stay here. I shall see you call so late. Oh, thank you, Victor. Oh, but you are beautiful, you know. Truly. You're to be a new Adam, I think. Let us hope you are more grateful to your creators than was the first. Did I request thee, maker from my clay, to mould me man? Did I solicit thee from darkness to promote me? Monsieur, we have a visitor. Waldman. <laughs> I knew you would be at the heart of this. Hello, Kremp. How tedious it is to see you. Victor. You must leave this man at once. I do not know what manner of hold he has over you, but you must shake yourself free of it. He has no hold over me. Now, may I ask you how you found us? I have heard such terrible rumours about you, Victor. About you and this awful place. I had no choice but to confront you. Now that I am here, I see that even the worst of my fears fall far short of the truth. Even... What in the name of Almighty is that? Hmm? He is our creation, monsieur. He is the first of a new race. It is monstrous. It is foul and it is damned. But I think him beautiful. We were saying as much before you interrupted us. How have you conjured such a demon into being? He is, at present, a thing of discreet and individual parts. But it is our dearest wish that he will 
before long, become whole. That abomination must be burnt. It must be scourged. On the contrary, we mean to animate it with life. Impossible. Blasphemous. We know it can be done. You're insane. Both of you, insane. I shall go at once to the authorities. You shall do no such thing. Waldman, take up that blade. Victor, what do you think you're doing? You see, monsieur, the one element that is missing from our creation is also, alas, the most important. Namely, the human brain. We had been waiting, Waldman and I, for the ideal specimen. The brain of the most brilliant man we could uncover. You, of course, are very far from being that man, but you are at least educated to a reasonable degree and are knowledgeable enough in your own limited fashion. Besides, your thoughts can always be reordered. Your imagination can be set free. Tonight seems fated. The storm grows and our specimen is here at last. Waldman, do what is necessary. No, no, you cannot be in earnest. Would you really stoop to this? I have dreamed of such a moment. How fit it is that you are present, after all you've done to thwart me. I will fight you. I will fight you to the end. Be my guest. I doubt that your efforts will detain us for long. Get back! Get back, release me! Submit, and I will make it easy for you. Victor! Victor! Help me hold him down! Just kill him! Victor, please! Very well. Get off me! Don't have you get off me! Victor, help! The knife! But of course. Apologies, monsieur. Victor! My lord. My merciful lord. Oh dear. Poor Monsieur Waldman. He must have fallen accidentally upon the blade. What a cruel mischance. But I saw you turn the blade on him. I doubt very much that you did. It is true, however, that his is the brain more suited to the task. You murdered him. I cannot concur. He made the highest sacrifice for our cause. Victor, this is beyond reason. You are lost to us. You are damned. I will inform the authorities at once. Really? Monsieur? Now there, I think you are mistaken. How can you be so unfeeling? On a floor, slick with another man's blood, in a charnel house, in this workshop of filthy creation. Calm yourself, monsieur. Take deep breaths and try to surmount your indignation. I know for certain that you shall never give me up to the authorities. Then you were even madder than I thought. I have not spent my year in Ingolstadt, Monsieur Kremp, purely in the assembly of the new Hercules that you see before you. No. I have taken relish also in the exploration of every aspect of the town. And in the course of these pleasurable wanderings, I have made the acquaintance of a girl named Giselle in the tavern where you and I once met. What of it? Ingolstadt is full of taverns and full of girls. But our Giselle, she is unique amongst them. She is gifted in so many ways, but not, alas, in the exercise of discretion. The night when we discovered ourselves to have a mutual friend in you, she grew, oh, most loquacious upon the theme of your iniquity. Such secrets, monsieur, so rich and varied a shadow life. Dear God. You have a wife, do you not? And I think three children. Four. Four children. Two daughters. And two sons. Congratulations. If you think of them, it will make what I'm about to ask very much easier for you to perform. What do you want? We both know I have sufficient information to ruin you forever. To think that for years you had cast Waldman in the part of Mephistopheles when all the time your own private behavior would be considered excessive in the pleasure palaces of the worst emperors of Rome. In order to have my word that I shall never reveal even the slightest part of what I know, you must pledge to me now that you will say nothing of what has taken place here tonight. You shall not go to the authorities. You will 
remain absolutely silent. Do you understand me? I do. After all, you have witnessed very little. Merely a legitimate experiment and a regrettable accident. If it gives you any comfort, you are not compounding any crime, either against the laws of our country or of nature. Rather, you are abetting the greatest scientific advance of the age. I... I shall do as you ask, Victor. How wise. Besides, you shall hardly miss poor Waldman. Oh, but before you take your leave and venture out into the gathering storm, I must ask one final favor of you. Would you be so kind as to pick up a scalpel from the bench and assist me in the removal of Monsieur Waldman's brain? What? No. No, Victor, no. I will not have it. I will not do it! You hear? My silence should be enough for you. Run, then. Run, then, little man! Seek the dark, dank places of the world! Hide yourself far from my sight! What do I care? The very power of creation itself is shortly to be mine. As I think we knew it always would be. Scalpel. And so, my friend, to business. You know, I never try to forget what a privilege it is to take such pleasure in one's work. We were alike in that, I think. And in so many ways. I labored for hours upon the completion of the new man. I removed Mr. Waldman's still warm brain from its carapace of bone and tissue and placed it with a holy kind of reverence inside the waiting cubicle in our child's cranium. I stitched the organ into place with hands which trembled with giddy joy. Afterwards, I stood back and beheld the accomplishments of my toil. Hardly daring to hope, I made every possible preparation. The machinery, the engine was in absolute readiness. I had only to wait for one thing the means by which I might impart new consciousness. The spark of life. The secret of creation. What was it? What was that secret? Remember the old oak on my father's estate? Split almost in twain, tore asunder by the power of the skies. to behold it. New life granted by man. There were sheets of flame, funnels of smoke, an awful shrieking, wrenching sound as if someone being torn from outer darkness. Then, silence. The smoke began to clear. The machinery calmed itself at last and was still. And I saw him. My own creation. He breathed hard. A convulsive motion agitated his limbs. Then, moving more fluidly, he seemed to become aware of my presence and turned his awful yellow eyes upon me. And I was... appalled by the sight. We looked at one another for a long moment before... As if sensing my horror at what I had done, the creature raised his tattered head towards the heavens and loosened the most terrible cry that I have ever heard. A peal of rage and pain and impossible anguish. 